You are listening to Moments in the Word, brought to you by Lighthouse Gospel Ministries. Father, we come to you this morning again, and uh, look into your word. We thank you for the church, your body, your bride, your people. We thank you so much for the Savior that laid down his life so that this body could meet here today, so that we could know you, who is eternal life, that we could possess you, be one with you, be united to the Lord Jesus Christ. The death of Christ allowed not only victory over the guilt of our sin, which Christ took on the cross, but you released us from the power of sin. You gave us of your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to mold us, to be more like Jesus. And this morning we gather around your word. We sang praises. There's giving going on this morning. There's fellowship going on this morning. And we gather around your word to look into your word to see how we can be more like Jesus. Thank you so much for your church. It's so important to the Christian life. It's so vital to who we are to be part of the, the local body of believers. Lord, I thank you for this church specifically, for the pastor here, for the people who take your word out into the community, who boldly proclaim the gospel, who reach out to, to save those who are being brought to be murdered by their own parents. What a sinful world we live in. What a brutal world we live in. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this body, for this church. I ask that you'd be with us this morning as we look into your word. And as we look into your word, may we identify things in our life that keep us from being like Jesus. Lord, may we fix those things. May we fix our eyes upon you, not our cares, not our work, not our bills, not our problems. May we set our affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If one is here who's not a Christian, they're not saved. Oh, they would be saved today. They would leave this place reconciled to God. We thank you again. Ask your blessing on the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to kind of continue a little thought that I had from Sunday school. We're talking about the Gnostics and John's rebuke of them. And we're talking about how the Gnostics believed that you could just live however you wanted to because the body was evil, the spirit was righteous, and your sinful body didn't affect your sinful body didn't affect your spirit. And so um, that Gnostic belief, as I mentioned, has not left us, by the way. Many, many churches today teach all you gotta do, be baptized. Doesn't matter how you live. Or join their church. Doesn't matter how you live. Or pray a sinner's prayer. Just come forward and pray a prayer. Say magic words and you're saved. It doesn't matter if you really love Christ. It doesn't matter if you surrender to Christ. Just, just, just sprinkle the magic dust. That's not Christianity. That's not Bible Christianity. Christianity is defined by our union to Christ. And if we're united to Christ... 
we must, by necessity, be surrendered to Christ. If we're united to Christ, we're going to bear the image of Christ. We're going to bear fruits of that union to Christ. Um, I am united to my wife, and I bear fruits of that. She has changed me over the years. Okay, I'm not the same person I was before I said I do. She has changed, right? Being united together has brought change to both of us. It affects both of us. It's obvious in our words and our actions, our thoughts, we think differently than we did. How much more being united to Christ should it affect our lives? Galatians 4, let's look at verse 12 through 20. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how, through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was uh, in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if, I had, if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, of whom I travail in birth, until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Uh, that one phrase, we'll come back to it later, this is the, the main thrust of the message. Uh, my little children, of whom I travail in birth, Again, get this phrase, until Christ be formed in you, right? Till Christ be formed, that's the object of salvation, that Christ be formed in us, that we be conformed, right? I quote it a lot. If you hear me preach a lot, you hear a lot, Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Why? Verse 29, for those before knew, you also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right? So all things work for our good because all things conform us to the image of Christ. Once again, you cannot, I'm not saying Christians don't sin. Don't say, oh, Brother Rick said Christians don't ever sin. No. You cannot be a Christian and go on in sin the way you did before Christ. Right. I am absolutely Solid in that belief. Amen. Okay. Uh, I, I preach in the prisons. I hear other prison preachers say things like, you've got to know that moment of salvation. Do you have a moment where you profess Christ as Savior? If you have that moment, then never doubt your salvation. I'm a little bit different. Because I know a lot of people who have that moment, that profession of faith. But they don't live for God. They don't love Christ. They're not conformed to his image. They pray to prayer because their friends pray to prayer. The church told them they should pray a prayer. Maybe for a minute they got scared and under some emotional preaching were afraid of going to hell, so they went forward and made a profession of faith. When I talk to them, I say, it doesn't matter if you have a moment that you confess Christ. The question is, do you confess him today? Is he being, is he being formed in you? Or are you being conformed to his image? If you're not, then question your salvation. Don't rest in a one-time profession that you made. That doesn't matter. Hey, Judas once made that profession of faith. Yeah. Okay? The devils confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. So if you, if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, you have the faith of a devil. That's 
right there. But they don't walk in that. They don't walk in that profession. They're not united to Christ. Christ must be formed in us if we're really his children. From my understanding, the book of Galatians and James are probably the first two books of the New Testament that were actually written. And they also complement each other. Galatians focuses on faith that produces righteousness. And James focuses on righteousness that proves or demonstrates genuine faith. The churches of Galatia had been infiltrated by a group known as the Judaizers. They were teaching that while believing in Jesus was good, you also had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to truly be saved, okay? To be a real Christian. Paul was pleading with his church not to abandon salvation by faith for a religion of works, okay? Uh, go back to chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses, the progression of his argument here. Chapter 1, look at verse 6. I marvel, Paul says, that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. By the way, if you leave the gospel, you are removed from Christ. You moved away from Christ, okay? That's the problem here. They weren't just getting off in some wrong doctrine. There's, there's, there's wrong doctrine that doesn't separate you from Christ. But when you abandon the gospel, you have, you've abandoned Christ, because Christ is the gospel. He died for our sins, rose from the dead. That's the gospel, right? I marvel you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, right? There is no other gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which, you have, which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Very strong words. Chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. These false teachers came in to bring them into bondage. Okay? Uh, go to chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Had, Learn of you. Received ye the spirit of the works of the law? Received the spirit, sorry, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He's saying you believed the gospel when it came to you. Did you believe the gospel because you were doing such a good job keeping the law? No, right? No. So if, you, if, if Christ saved you by faith, are you now going to be made perfect by, by, by out, outward works? Are you finishing what Christ started? No, right? Christ begins and Christ finishes the work. Chapter 4, verse 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Christ, through the gospel, frees us, right? We're slaves of sin. We are in bondage to sin. Christ frees us. And now he says, after being freed from, from, from sin, are you going to turn around and be in bondage again? Be Slaves to the law that you can never keep, never have freedom. Hey, there's freedom in Christ, okay? There's freedom in Christ because Christ kept the law for us. Amen. We have his righteousness. I'm not under obligation to be a law keeper, right? I'm free to live. The law tried to, 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 to bring righteousness right from the inside, from the outside in, and it couldn't do it. Right? But the law of Christ, the freedom that comes in Christ, it, it puts a law in our heart, and it works righteousness from the, outside, from the inside out. Yes. 
In chapter 3, Paul makes a largely theological argument that seeking to be justified by the law is a repudiation of the gospel of faith that they had received. In this section of chapter 4, he's continuing his pleas for faith alone, right? But he makes an experiential argument. So let's start in verse 12 and go through our text. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Paul makes a very compelling argument here. Basically, he's saying, I became like you, okay, like a Gentile to reach you. Why would I then have to make you become a Jew to be a Christian? That's a powerful argument. I lived as a Gentile when I reached you. Why would I do? Why would you become a Jew to truly be saved? Right? That makes no sense. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might, again, um, I might gain the more. Under the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, uh, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made... I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Right? So Paul's saying, I became like you to reach you. I'm not going to make you like me to be saved. Um, if, if you know the name Hudson Taylor, right? he's a missionary to inland China, and he rocked the missions world when he went to China. Because they had, like, really strict rules that they followed, right? Like, we don't go to inland China. We stay on the coast, right? And we live very British lives. Well, the Chinese didn't want to hear from the British people. So what Hudson Taylor did was he put on Chinese clothes, and he cut his hair in a Chinese way, and he went out and he preached the gospel in inland China. You know what they did? They listened to him because he looked like one of them. Can you imagine if, if, if Hudson Taylor went to China and made himself look Chinese, to preach the gospel to the Chinese, and then tell the Chinese, by the way, to be right with God, you must become more British. That would have made no sense at all. That's what Paul's saying here. That would make no sense at all. None. So his first point is, if I became like you, why would you have to become like me? Verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. So Paul points out here that he came to them with an illness or health problem of some kind. Verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, you didn't reject or despise me because of my physical appearance. Instead, they had seen Christ in him. They had seen the beauty of his message, right? He wasn't preaching outward conformity. He was preaching a message, and they saw the beauty in the message. He says, you saw the beauty in salvation by faith alone. Why are you turning to other things now? Why have you lost sight of the beauty? I think, I think it's the last time I was here, I was talking about maybe a different church. I get confused now, but I've turned 40, and as I've turned 40, I've lost my mind slowly. Um, but Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, right? All the good things that church was doing. All from, from, from the outward, we would look at that and go, what, a, what an amazing church. Look how faithful they are. Look at all the, let's put, in the, let's put it in modern American independent Baptist terms, right? They're running bus ministries. They've got Spanish ministries and Korean ministries. And they're doing all these wonderful things. But God didn't judge the, what they were doing, right? God looked at the heart and said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against you because you don't love me like you should. You've lost your first love. Yep. So you're doing a lot of stuff, but you're not doing it out of love. Your love has waned, right? It's diminished. 
And these people that Paul's writing to, they, 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 he came to them, and he, he had a, a messed up appearance. He had a physical malady of some kind. And they didn't reject him because they saw the beauty of his message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was his message. And now these other people come in and say, well, that's good. It's good to believe that. But you got to do all this other stuff too to be really right with God. And Paul says, when did you lose the beauty of that message? You received it so well because you saw the glory in the message. Now you're, you don't see the beauty in it anymore. Now you're turning to something else. Verse 15. Where then is the blessedness you spake of? Where's the beauty you once saw? For I bear you record that if, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore your enemy because I tell you the truth? Look how they received this message. They were willing to even pluck out their own eyes and give them to Paul that the message of the preaching of faith would go on. And now, in a short time, they're turning from that message and looking for a new message. And Paul's saying, where's the beauty you once saw? Where's the glory you once saw in the gospel? You've left your first love, is what he's saying. Your love has waned for the gospel. You were so fierce in, in, in your advocation of the gospel. Nothing would stand in your way from, from, from me going on and preaching the gospel. They believed the content of Paul's message so much that they would do anything necessary. Even, he says, plucking out your own eyes and giving them to me so that I could keep preaching that, that message that you've now turned from. But you're now forsaking. And Paul says, am I now your enemy because I tell you the truth? The answer is no. He was an enemy of false doctrine. He was an enemy of, of the enemies of Christ. Right? You're not someone's enemy because you tell them the truth of the gospel. You're not. Okay? You can oppose false doctrine in a loving way. But let's establish two truths here. Okay? You're not an enemy of an individual for telling their beliefs are wrong. That's, that's one thing we need to establish. Okay? Um, I, I preach a lot on Roman Catholicism, and I've been uh, called anti-Catholic. Listen, if I was anti-Catholic, if I hated Catholics, you know what I would do? I would keep my mouth shut and let them perish. The fact that I tell them their gospel doesn't save doesn't demonstrate that I don't love them. It demonstrates that I do love them. When I come to Christians, and I, I, Christians are turning from the gospel, and they're going back to the Mormon church, and I plead with them not to do that. I don't hate them. I love them. I want you to remain in the gospel of Christ. You know why? Because Paul said, if anyone leaves the gospel of Christ, let him be accursed. Okay? So you're not someone's enemy for telling them the truth. Paul is saying what I was saying this morning in Sunday school. If you're going to abandon the gospel of faith, you're abandoning Christ. You're, there's no reason to hope in your salvation. Paul says, I want you to be saved. I want you to know Christ. That's why I'm telling you these things. Not because I'm your enemy. I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm trying to love and comfort and bring you back into the sheepfold of Christ. But the second truth is, you can have the right message and give it in the wrong way. Okay? Let's be careful about that. Uh, Bill Adams, who leads the Super Bowl outreach, always tells us, he doesn't mind bailing us out of jail. Just make sure you were arrested because somebody hates the gospel and not because you were being a jerk. We can give a true message in a wrong way. We can. Okay, we got to be careful there. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's not boasting of himself. He's not trying to build himself up. He's not trying to argue with them to show them that he's superior to them. He's not. 
He cares for their soul. That's what he's doing. He cares for their soul. And he's pointing out that these, these Judaizers, they don't care for your soul. They're trying to make much of themselves by coming in and taking over you. They're trying to build themselves up. Too many people today have a martyr complex, right? Yeah. Only I'm standing for righteousness. Right. Everyone's abandoned me. And they're absolute jerks when they're out sharing the gospel. Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. That's not... You, you are not like Jesus, okay? We all love to point out, Jesus overturned the table of the money. Yes, he did. And cleansing the temple was the work of the Messiah. When yeah. you are the anointed Messiah of God, feel free to walk in the temple and to whip people with cords. But until then, we are called to meekness, to kindness, to be firm in our message, to be blunt in our message, to give the gospel unwaveringly. Amen. But Paul gave a message out of a broken heart. Not out of pride. He wept for those he preached to. His heart was broken over these Galatians. Verse 17. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. They, speaking of the Judaizers, they're jealous of you, he says. Their attitude is, how dare you, Gentiles, think that you have the righteousness of God? We keep the law. We're righteous. We're circumcised. We keep the traditions of the fathers. How dare you think you can just come in and by simple faith claim the righteousness of Christ? In other words, you're saying, look at us. You have to become like us. We're better than you. We've achieved more than you have. We're holier than you. Look at all the stuff we've done for God. They were jealous of these Christians. You know what, you know what true religion is? True, I mean, false religion is? False religion is jealous of the gospel. Okay? Because false religion, it exists for one purpose, right? Uh, the reason that false churches, let, let's just name some, like Mormonism, the Watchtower, the Roman Catholic Church, on and on and on. Just to go, um, um, the, the United Pentecostal Church, right? The one is Pentecostal. You know why they're all so strict? Because there's no change in the heart, right? People aren't really saved. Because you're saved by faith alone. And since they're not really saved, there's no inward change affecting their outward behavior. So to keep them under control and following their religion, they have to have all these rules, right, to affect their outward behavior. And then they look at someone like us out there preaching the gospel, and they're saying, yeah, right, just believe, right? Yeah, just, just, it's just that, yes, it is just that easy. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. And they are angry and jealous because what? I spent the last 30 years following this religion as strict as I can to the T. Why am I not saved? Listen, Paul had the same mindset. Paul had the same mindset. I preached last week up in Tulare. I was preaching. I was talking about Martin Luther. We are talking about the book of Romans. Martin Luther was a, a priest before he was saved. And he was a zealous priest. I mean, he wasn't one of these priests that was out there living you know, a double life, you know, with a hidden family somewhere. He was... He was a zealous priest. He worked hard to keep all of his rules. Uh, if, 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 the, the, if the monastery required five hours of prayer every day, he prayed for ten. I read somewhere that he was like six or seven hours a day in confessing his sins. Right? How many sins do you commit in a monastery, right? But he was, he was so determined to be the best that he could be. But at his own attesting, as he read the Bible, and he read that God required perfection, 
and he knew he couldn't be perfect. You know what Martin Luther said? He said, in my heart, I hated the God who demanded perfection from me. He hated God. He was angry at God because God wasn't accepting the works that he was doing. It wasn't until he realized, Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. When he realized that we're saved not by an active righteousness, but a passive righteousness. We receive the righteousness of Christ. But he actually came to know Christ. These Judaizers are the same way. They're keeping their religion. They're zealous for their religion, like Paul was, right? Paul was the, the most zealous of, of the Pharisee of the Pharisees, he called himself, right? Blameless in terms of keeping the law. And these Judaizers are coming and looking at these Galatians saying, these dog Gentiles think they can just believe and they have the righteousness of God. You know what they were doing? They were trusting their own righteousness. They were saying, look at us. Look at all that we've done. Look at all that we do. They were hoping that all of their outward righteousness would commend them to God. Right. And these Galatians were just trusting that the righteousness of Christ would commend them to God. They didn't have faith, but they hoped their works would make up for that. Listen, that's a real problem. I'm going to say it because the pastor's not here. Don't let him listen to this. That's a real problem in independent Baptist churches. Yeah. You know why? That was me for a long time. I didn't really believe. I didn't really trust in Christ. I mean, I prayed the outward prayer, and I came to church and wore a suit and looked nice and carried my Bible and was at all the youth group meetings and, and came to all the church services and all the prayer meetings, and I hope that in some way, now maybe I didn't do it quite, maybe I didn't quite believe quite right, but surely God's not going to send me to hell because I'm doing all these things. We have got to fight against that. It is not our outward stuff that we do that commends us to God. It's the righteousness of Christ. Whether I wear a t-shirt and Bermuda shorts to church or a suit doesn't matter. Neither one commends me to God. you know why? Because I'm commended to God by believing in the death of his son and the righteousness of Christ speaks for me, not my own righteousness. Our righteousness is not to bring us to God, right? It's to show that we've come to God. It's an outworking of an inward change that should happen. I've seen it a thousand times what these Judaizers are doing. The Galatians profess faith in Christ. Judaizers come along to show them how to really do it, how to really be Christians. Um, I've seen people in our church, they get saved. They go to work. They're excited. They start spreading the gospel. Then their coworkers step up. Coworkers who have never witnessed to them before, never shared any gospel with them at all. They come along and say, oh, that's good that you got saved. Now let me show you how to be a real Christian. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus only, deny the Trinity, join my church as the one true church. They come along with all these things to show them how to truly be right with God. No. It's by faith alone. By faith alone. Paul said the Judaizers would exclude the Galatians from salvation so that the Galatians would make much of them. Paul didn't make much of himself. He made much of the gospel. And of Christ. The Galatians accepted this at the first. The Judaizers don't want to make much of Christ. They want praise and glory for themselves. And we have those people in church today. They don't care about Christ. Right? They care about their rules. Look at, look at me. You ever watch, a, I, I, hate, I hate politics. You ever watch, I'm, I'm going to name names here. You ever watch Republicans debate in, in presidential elections? You ever seen that? What does it quickly become? I'm the most conservative. No one's ever been conservative like me. 
I'm the most constant. We end up with a, a sword battle over who's the most conservative, who's the most constituted, right? And a lot of churches kind of devolve in that, don't they? Yeah. Well, I'm the mo- I have the strictest standards of living. Oh, yeah, well, I'm the strictest on television. Well, I wear the, the suit every service. Even when the pastor says, come casual, I, I How quickly, how easily it is for us to devolve into a workspace righteous if we're not careful to realize, oh, of course God accepts me. I've been serving him. I've been preaching in the pulpit. Of course I'm right with God. Not realizing that Judas was one of the 12 apostles. Let's not forget that. He kept the money. He was the treasurer of the apostles. Surely he, no, no, he wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe. The Judaizers don't want to make much of Christ. They want to make much of themselves. They're the ones Jesus spoke about in John 5, 44. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Look at verse 18. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. So he says it's good to make much of a good thing. The Judaizers sought to have the Galatians make much of them, not the gospel, to glory in them, or they once gloried in Christ. But Paul didn't do that. He made much of the gospel. Verse 19. This is the key of the whole passage. My little children, whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Paul wasn't satisfied that they had made professions of faith. You notice that? He says, I'm travailing in birth again. Right? Yeah. Of whom I travail in birth again. He travailed in birth for them once, right? When he tried to reach them. Then they make profession of faith. Paul moves on. Judaizers move in. And what is Paul thinking now? Oh, man, they may not even be saved. <laughs> They're leaving the gospel. And he's back again to do the work he'd done the first time. I'm travailing again over you. I'm in sorrow again over you. He speaks in gentle terms, doesn't he? My little children. Then he uses a comparison to a woman giving birth. I think, what I think he intends there is the grief associated with childbirth is what he experiences for them. He's in the throes of sorrow. Those who've had babies can attest that it's a very painful ordeal. It's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of suffering. Paul says, I am in sorrow. I am in agony over you guys, over your faith over your moving from the gospel. You know what these Judaizers, you know what they cared about? Themselves. They cared about themselves. You know what the Judaizers weren't doing when, when, when the Galatians accepted Christ? They weren't travailing in pain for them. They weren't. They, weren't, they didn't care at all. All they wanted was the Galatians to make much of them. And Paul says, I'm suffering for you guys. Internally, I have agony over you guys, because I want you to know Christ. Not me, Christ. He says he'll have this sorrow until something happens. He says, until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. He's not coming back to them again, saying, now you need to conform to me. You need to live like I live. You need to follow my rules. He didn't say that. He didn't say that the first time he came to them, did he? He became like them to reach them with the gospel that first time. Right? And these Judaizers come in and they say, well, no, no. You need to conform to our standards to truly be Christians. And Paul comes back. And Paul could easily come back and say, no, no, no. You need to be like me, not like them. 
That's not what Paul says. He says, I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to be like Christ. Not like me, not like them, like Christ. Way different than what the, what the Judaizers were saying. Paul wasn't concerned that his seat, the seats be filled up in the church. Paul wasn't concerned that they had lots of professions of faith. Um, man, we get so sidetracked with this in the church today, don't we? Too many churches, I've been part of these churches, too many churches are focused on the seats being filled with people. And they run campaigns, and they run buses. And listen, buses and campaigns aren't evil in and of themselves. But I mean, the whole drive of the church is to fill the seats, fill the auditorium. Fill the kids' church, right? Fill. We want, and 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 they they they, they disguise it, right? They're not they're not they're, they're not going to come out and say uh, we want this because we want to boast in ourselves, right? They they well, the more people we have in the seats, the more people are hearing the gospel. That's true, <laughs> but watch out, Revelation, right? They were doing Church of Ephesus. They were doing, but their hearts weren't right. They weren't doing it for love, and God knew it, and God called them out on it. And he went so far as to say, you know what? I'm going to remove your candlestick if you don't repent. Okay? So we can, we can, we can veil our, our desire to fill the church. We can say, well, the more people who are in the church, the more people are hearing the gospel. Now, that sounds good. But God knows our heart. And there's a lot of these churches who are not doing it because they care about souls hearing the gospel. It's kind of like Judas, right? When Judas, right? When Jesus uh, was talking about the money. And the oil that was spilled, he goes, well, this could have been sold for a lot and given to the poor. And he says in the Bible, he didn't care about the poor, yeah. right? He kept the money, and he wanted to get some for himself. Right. And I've been with some of these pastors, man. I, I'm not going to name names here, but I've been with some of these pastors who their whole goal is to fill the church so they can text their other pastor friends, and go, oh, we had this many. How many? Oh, we had this many. Uh, yeah. Paul's not concerned with the full church. He's concerned with the holy church. He's concerned that the people in his church have Christ formed in them, that they be conformed to his image. We've got to fight against this, this worldly desire for outward glory, yeah. right? Every young man coming out of Bible college wants to, and they can lie about it, but every, almost every young man coming out of Bible college, they want to build that next big church. They want to be known as that next guy. Look at all that God did and used them for. Come on. Listen, the goal of every young man out of Bible college should be, I want to see Christ formed in sinners. That's all that matters. Most Sundays at our church, we have 30, 35 people. Does that bother you? Not at all. Because I want Christ formed in those 30 or 35 people more than I want 300 people filling the room. Now, if 300 people fill the room and they can all be conformed to the image of Christ, wonderful. But that's not our goal. Let's worry about the ones who are here, that they're excelling in holiness, they're drawing closer to Christ. Right? And if that happens, you know what's going to happen? They're going to naturally be witnessing and bringing people in. It's going to happen. A natural outgrowth of the Christian life is winning people to Christ. People will be saved as Christians become holy and become like Christ. But I'm thankful your pastor is not a person who's concerned that every seat in here be filled. I think he's concerned that you and him both are conformed to the image of Jesus. That's a pastor to treasure, okay? Because I've been with the other kind of pastor. And their only drive is bigger numbers. Let's break last year's, I've sat in staff meetings. Let's break last year's record. Let's break last year's record. Let's break last year's record. All they care is getting people into the seats. 
You know why? Because it looks good for them. It looks good for them. We're not fooling anybody, guys. We're not fooling. God sees the heart. He's going to call us into judgment one day. We can fool each other. We're not fooling him. Let's be honest about that. Paul didn't care for personal glory. Didn't care for the size of his church. He cared for the holiness of the people who gathered there. I don't care about your profession of faith. I don't care about how often you attend church. I don't care how you dress when you come to church. Here's what I care about, Christian. Is Christ being formed in you? And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. You say, you're just a visiting preacher that comes to here once in a while. We've been here enough that we don't lie when we say this church has become like family to us. We, we love you guys. And if I hear from Pastor Max that somebody has left the faith in this church, let me tell you something right now. My heart will be broken. I love this church. I, I feel like we are part of you guys. When we walk in here, we feel as comfortable as when we walk into our own church. Amen. I want Christ to be formed in you. Amen. I want Christ to be formed. I don't want a church full of superficial people. That's right. right? Ten miles wide and one inch deep. That's not what we're looking for. We want Christians who love Christ, who are Christ-like, who are dedicated to Christ and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care if there's one or two. I appreciate the church last Sunday. There was seven people. Wow. See, that disappoints you? No. Because my goal for that Sunday was to point those seven people to Jesus and to say, be like him. Amen. But you know what? I'd rather have those seven people who want to be Christ-like than 700 people who are just there because it's Sunday. It's what they do. Yeah, right. They're Christians. We have to go through the motions. There's nothing more heartbreaking. There are people in my own church who, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, they could take it or leave it. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. But I don't have time to worry about that. All we can do is preach Christ and hope that Christ is formed in them if they truly know Christ. Because there are people there who want to be like Christ. I, I, I just, I don't have the time. I'm four, maybe I was 20, I'm 40. You see, that's not that old. I understand that. But time's going by really fast really fast. I don't have time anymore to care about my image, right? I, I don't. I want to see some lasting fruit in my life, in my family's life, in the life of the people I minister to. Amen. Because when I stand before God, he's not going to ask how big the crowds were. He doesn't care. Were you faithful to me? Did you love the people you were preaching to? Was your aim to grow them in holiness? He doesn't care about how long I preached or how short I preached or how often I preached or the crowds I preached to. If my heart is not in it for you to grow in Christ, for me to grow in Christ, then I'm making much of myself. I'm not making much of Christ. Paul made much of Christ. We should make much of Christ. If Christ isn't being formed in you, you will be led astray. Maybe by false doctrine. Maybe by your own heart. There's a lot of Christians who were led away by false teaching because their hearts were never given to Christ. They went to church, made a profession of faith, but it was always the externals, not the internal. Maybe, maybe you won't be taken away by false doctrine. A lot of people are 
especially in the 20th century, 21st century, seven churches today, and they're not truly born again. They're not. They're trusting in their works. They're trusting in their sinner's prayer. They're trusting in everything else but Jesus. But they're convinced they're saved. They're convinced. Christ isn't being formed in them. They're not becoming more and more like Jesus. But they've been told, that that doesn't matter. Just trust your profession of faith. No. No, 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 no. If we're not seeing the inward work of Christ, we're not born again. And there are people who will be led astray and stand before God one day and be told, I never knew you. Never knew you. If you're not, you say, well, how do I know I'm a Christian? Because of all the things that, you know, no, I'm not saying look to the things you do as evidence of your salvation, because reprobates do good things too. But what I'm saying is, is Christ being formed in you? I do probably less religious things right now than I did when I was lost. But I can look at my own heart and say, I'm doing them for the right reasons. My heart drives me. My love for sinners. I don't go preach to be made much of. I, I go to preach that sinners might be saved and people hear the gospel. I used to go out door knocking, man, so I could brag about how many doors I knocked. You knocked on 25 today? I knocked on 100. I'll pray for you, brother, that you do more for Christ next time. That, that was me. We laugh at it, but that was me, guys. Right? But I can examine my heart and say, is Christ being formed in me? Yes, that I'm a child of God. I'm saved. God's doing a work in my heart. He's changing me from the inside out. Don't look at your outward deeds as evidence of your salvation. Look at your inward desire as evidence of salvation. Is Christ being formed in you? By the way, these Galatians, they were being led into this false doctrine of works, weren't they? So they were about to do more works than they'd done before. So outward works isn't what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about Christ being formed in the inner man. Paul urges us several times to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Have we trusted Christ? Truly? Or do we hope that our works will one day commend us to God? God will understand. God will understand. No, he doesn't. He doesn't understand. And by the way, that verse I just quoted to you, I never knew you. Remember those people that he's talking to? They weren't debauched people. They weren't living in outward sin. They're like, we, we've cast out devils in your name. We've done many wonderful works. In you. These were faithful people who thought they were serving Christ. And Christ says, I, I never knew you. It's not the outward, guys. Are we being conformed to the image of Christ? If we're not, then we need to question our salvation. We need to. Absolutely need to. Have we trusted Christ or do we trust something else? Our works are not a good measure to see if our conversion is genuine. The Judaizers did good works. The Pharisees did good works. But look at yourself and ask this morning, am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the test of the Christian life. So how do I test myself? Am I seeing Christ formed in me? If I'm not, there's a problem. If I am, then I'm in the faith. Now, what am I doing to hinder that work? Because we can hinder that work of Christ, even as Christians. Verse 20, I desire to be, to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He stands in doubt of their true conversion if they follow these false teachers. So let me make application before I close. 
how can we see Christ formed in us today? How do we, we can hinder the work of Christ in our lives. Let's just be honest. Even if we're saved, we can hinder the work of Christ. So how do we advance? How do we, how do we see Christ formed in us? Let me give you a couple of things. First of all, we need to kill pride. Amen. Kill pride. The Judaizers were fueled by pride, as we saw in verse 17. The Galatians who were following them fell into the same trap, right? Religion offers us opportunity to glory in ourselves, doesn't it? Look at everything I'm doing for God. Glory be to me, right? It's so easy to soak ourselves in the praise of men to the detriment of our own souls. Nothing is more dangerous to the believer than praise. I struggle with this. Uh, I naturally, I'll just confess all my sins to you right now. One of my besetting sins is pride. Ask my wife. I think a lot of myself. I'm always right. And when I'm wrong, I'm right. How dare you point that out? Sometimes I'll go to churches and preach, and I'll be like, don't, don't congratulate me on the That's where they take it as like, you know, oh, brother, that was a grace. Don't do that. Because I take it personal. I don't care if it was a great oratory. I don't care if it sounded good. Were you challenged in your Christian life? Amen. Then continue in that work. But, man, pride is the great soul killer. If we're not careful, that's the problem with a lot of preachers. They're given to pride. They're given to self-boasting and self-image. You are never going to be like Jesus if you're full of pride and full of yourself. Because he humbled himself. He humbled himself. We have to kill pride, and we have to do it intentionally. It's not going to happen by accident. We have to seek to attack our pride. It's in our nature to have pride in our accomplishments, isn't it? That was the very fall of man, wasn't it, in the garden? What was the thing that he got her with? God knows if you eat that, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. He made much of Eve, didn't he? Oh, you'll be great. You'll be just like God. Yep. The Gnostics, we talked about this morning, the secret wisdom, the hidden wisdom, the mystical, I can know more than everybody else. The gospel, when rightly embraced, is the great pride killer. We did nothing and could do nothing to affect our own salvation. All the work was Christ, and we have nothing to glory in. Nothing. Even our service that we do for God only comes from him. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Think about that. That takes away all boasting, doesn't it? It's God that works in you. So he says, work out your own salvation, right? So we have an active part in that. And then he says, ah, but it's God who works in you, both to will and to do. Both the willing and the doing belong to to Christ. There's no pride there. There's no room for pride there. If Christ is being formed in us, then pride will decrease as he increases. Christ was the picture of humility and submission. To be filled with Christ is to be emptied of pride, but to be filled with pride is to be emptied of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's a great pride killer, isn't it? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That's a fancy way of saying, be like Jesus. So how was Jesus? How was Jesus? Look at this. He made himself of no reputation. 
By the way, he deserved a reputation. He is the holy almighty God who could have made much of himself and not been wrong for doing so, but he made little of himself. He humbled himself. Now for us who aren't the almighty God, who have nothing to glory in, we're sinful creatures from the moment that we're conceived in the womb, right? We have nothing to glory in. Everything we have, we receive from God. Why are we puffing ourselves up as if we did some great thing? Jesus, who deserved the glory, lowered himself. We who are lower than him seem to puff ourselves up. Christ will not be formed in us if we're trying to make much of ourselves. He won't be. So how was Jesus? He made himself a new reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He took it. We should be servants. If you want to see Christ formed in you, be a servant. Serve somebody. I'm picking on pastors today. I apologize for that, but I've been around a lot of pastors who, you know, oh, I saw a pastor sleeping in the front porch of a church before the service. He's complaining that nobody's sweeping the front porch. I'm doing stuff that pastors should never have to do. Oh, man, you are not like Jesus. You're not like, you're not some great somebody. He took the form of a servant and didn't complain about it. We who are servants shouldn't complain either. We who are servants shouldn't complain. Um, there's no job a pastor shouldn't do. Let me just put that out there. I'm not picking on your pastor. I think he's a servant. I'm just saying there are pastors who believe they're just, they're, they're the greatest. Everyone should serve them. We're, the high, we're on the high part of the totem pole. You want to be like Jesus? Be a servant. Be a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient. If Christ is to be formed in us, we must humble ourselves, be obedient, have a servant's attitude. We must put ourselves lower than we think we should be. Christ, who was at the top of the totem pole, right? The God of heaven lowered himself to be a servant. So whatever you or I think of ourselves, we should probably put ourselves down a little bit lower. A little bit lower. Number, number two. So first, kill pride. Number two, hold the gospel you received at first. Don't stray from the gospel. If you want to see Christ formed in you, you hold on to the gospel of faith alone. The very problem in Galatia was they were casting off the gospel they'd received for a works-based justification. Same problem we had in, in, in I was talking to the brother about the, the book of Hebrews. What was, the, what, what was the, the point of Hebrews? What's the context there? Paul, or not, I say, I'm so used to saying Paul. Yeah. I would say the author of Hebrews was writing to Hebrew believers who were being tempted to go back to the temple system of sacrifice. And the whole point is, why are you leaving the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ that took away sin for the sacrifices that could never take away sin? There's no salvation in the temple sacrifice. It could never take away your sin, right? These Galatians were leaving the gospel, what brought them freedom to put themselves back into bondage. You want to see Christ formed in you? Hold tight to the gospel. Hold tight to the gospel because Christ is in the gospel. Christ isn't in religion. 
He's in the gospel. That's the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not saying hold to a denomination or hold every belief you once held. We all change. We all grow. We understand. I don't believe everything I believed 20 years ago, but I believe the gospel. Still, firm in my grasp, salvation by faith alone. My only hope for righteousness is Christ. That I hold on to. Hold fast to the work of Christ as the grounds of your justification. And number three, allow the work of the Spirit in your inner man. Allow the work of the Spirit in your inner man. Chapter 4, verse 6 of Galatians says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This wasn't part of our text, but it's important. In this verse, we see all three members of the Godhead, don't we? The triune God sends forth his, the Spirit uh, of the Son, which makes us cry, Abba, Father. The term Abba simply means Father, but it's used to show closeness to God. Jesus used the term in Mark 14, 36 in his prayer in Gethsemane. We see it again in Romans 8, 15 in terms of our adoption into the family of God. If we are sons of God, then the Spirit of God uh, dwells in us. The Spirit's work is to conform us to the image of Christ and to draw us near to the Father. We must submit to that work of the Spirit. Okay, not just at salvation, but each and every day. We have to allow the Spirit of God to work in our inner man. We can fight against it. We can battle against the work that God is doing. We must submit to it. We must submit to it. Laying aside of ourselves is a willful act of surrender to the Spirit of God. So let me ask you this morning, is Christ being formed in you? I ask me, is Christ being formed in me? Is there a work that God is doing that I can point to and put my finger on and say, God is changing me from the inside out? If you can't point to that work, let me tell you, come to Christ today and be saved. You have every reason to doubt your salvation. But if you can look at your life and say, I see God working. I see God doing something. I see God changing me. Let me ask you something. Are you allowing that work? Are you hindering that work? What can hinder that work? Pride. Pride. You say, what about worldliness? Worldliness is pride. <laughs> what about ongoing sin? Ongoing sin is pride. Okay? When I sin, I'm making a statement that in that moment, what that sin offers me is greater than what Jesus offers me in my obedience. That's pride. Pride. It's the great uh, killer of our souls. It's the great killer or hinderer of the work that God is doing. Are we full of pride or is there God-given humility in our souls? Have we believed by faith or do we, and do we continue in that same faith? Paul asked an interesting question. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. He said, This only what I learned of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of of faith? It's a powerful question. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, when you receive the Spirit, did you do it by works of the law? No, you did it by the hearing of faith. And what he's saying is, you've reached the epitome of pride when you think you can now perfect upon 
what God is doing by your own works. No, no. We receive the Spirit through faith, and the Spirit does His work in our lives through faith. We continue in faith like we believed in the first. That's how Christ is formed in us. The Spirit has been given to us to make us like Christ. So how is Christ? Say, when I say being conformed to the image of Christ, right? Is Christ being formed in you? What do I mean by that? Are we humble or prideful? If we're prideful, Christ isn't being formed in us. Are we sincere? Are we sincere? If we're not sincere, Christ isn't being formed in us. Are we obedient? If we're not obedient, Christ isn't being formed in us. He always did those things which pleased the Father. He was obedient unto death, even death at the cross. Are we near to the Father? Are we drawing nearer to God? If we're not, then Christ isn't being formed in us. Are we always doing the will of the Father? I know we can't do it perfectly like Jesus did. But if our Christian life exists on Sunday and that's it, or Sunday and Wednesday and church picnics, no, 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 no. We should be seeking to do the will of the Father on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And if we're not doing that, if our, if our Christ-likeness, if our religion only goes to church services, Christ is not being formed in us. Are we self-willed? Jesus was never self-willed. He said, as I hear, I speak. I do the will of the Father. I do what I see the Father doing. He never operated of his own. If we're self-willed, Christ is not being formed in us. Church, I, I want Christ to be formed in you. Amen. I love you guys. I want Christ formed in my church. When I was 21, all I wanted was the biggest bus route, the biggest church. We're going to be the talk of Central California. We're going to blow the walls off this place. We're going to have the biggest church. But you know what I care about today? I care about myself and those around me being conformed to the image of Christ. I, I couldn't care less. Because if my name is made great, you know what I've realized? I've come to terms a lot with my own mortality the last couple of years. Everybody dies. We have a street in Bakersfield where you come off the freeway and you're at a stoplight and you're facing a cemetery. Some years ago, I was sitting at a stoplight pondering. Those people were once out here, right? Driving up and down these streets, cares and concerns, work, shopping, kids, all these things. And now they're laying there dead. Their spirits are somewhere else. Wherever they're at, unconcerned with what's going on out here. And pretty soon I will be there and they will be, somebody else will be here. And it really helped me realize that it, I can accomplish as much as I want. You know what's going to happen? Everyone's going to forget about it. Everyone's going to forget about it. But if we're conformed to the image of Christ, the inner man, if we, if we draw nearer to Jesus, become more like him, you know, he'll never forget that. That follows us to eternity. So who cares? Who cares whether seven or 700 people are you conformed to the image of Christ? 
Who cares about your family? Who cares that they achieve great riches and tops in their career? They can get straight A's in school and die and go to hell. Are they being conformed to the image of Christ? Who cares? Everything in this life, just it passes away. Passes away. And then you die, and you're some great preacher, and you built great crowds, and you die, and then the people forget about you, or in the case of some international preachers, all your sins come out after you die. And people realize you were a phony the whole time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Fame, the size of the church, are we being conformed to the image of Christ? If we're not, then why not? Why not? Forget about everything else this morning. Forget about everything else. Are you being made more like Jesus? If you are, then lean into that. Ask God for more of that. If you're not, beg God and say, make me more like Jesus. That's a prayer he will always answer if we pray it from a sincere heart. Make me more like Jesus. That's all that matters. When we stand before God, all that matters, all that matters is that we stand before him in his righteousness, in his image. Do we love him? That's the only thing that matters. Nothing else is important. Do we love Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And uh, I hope that made sense to people. It oftentimes makes sense to me and then it comes out and I confuse even myself. But, oh, Father, we, we want to be like Jesus. I, I want to be like Jesus. And I'm not more often than I am. I fail. And I have to come to you again and again and say, make me more like Jesus. We're sinful creatures. We struggle so much with that old man. But we want to be filled with the new man who's renewed in righteousness. My prayer for this church is that every person here draws nearer to you. I'm not impressed with the size of the church. I'm not impressed at all by the clothes people are wearing or the cars they're driving. Because I know that in a very short amount of time, we will stand before you and you're not fooled by any of that. You look at the inner man and may Christ be formed in our inner man. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can keep your head bowed, nice clothes. Have a few moments to respond if you need to. Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word. Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org. All donations are tax deductible. We hope you were blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.